Um, Matthew 6, 1 to 8, and 16 to 18. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets, to be honored by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they've received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. When you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others they are fasting. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face, so that it will not be obvious to others that you are fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen. And your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. This is the word of God. Well, good morning, and a very warm welcome again to Reality Church London. For those of you I haven't yet met, my name is Bijan. I'm the pastor for our church. And I like to remind us every week as we gather that we're one church in two places. We're gathering here in person at Central Foundation, but also many of us still gathering via Zoom. And we gather together scattered throughout the city to worship God and to be reminded of what our mission is to love and serve London. And so today we're looking at Matthew 6. Let's pray and then we'll get right to work looking at this passage. Our God, we thank you for gathering us together around your word. And now with it open in front of us, I ask, we pray that you would give us understanding and insight, not just to learn more, but to experience Jesus, to be changed as we do so. We ask all this in his name, praying together. Amen. Now, as we've been saying for the past few weeks in this series in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is giving us his doctrine for discipleship. He's telling us about what it means to be a follower of Jesus in the world today. And today we begin in chapter six. Now we are starting a slightly new section in the Sermon on the Mount. Up till now, Jesus has really been focusing on the character, you might say the attitudes that should define Jesus's disciple, the kind of heart attitudes that you should have. But now as we come to chapter six, we're taking a slightly uh, new direction. We're turning a little as Jesus starts talking about the day-to-day -day lifestyle of those who are his followers. That is to say he gets more practical and he's gonna be talking about the things that you do every day that actually help you know God and actually serve other people. And so that's where we're going. And today, here's the big topic that this section of scripture is about, spiritual practices, spiritual practices. A spiritual practice is something that you do with repetition, regular, regularly, 
And it's something that you do to know God better and to help other people know more about God. And in this passage, Jesus is going to unpack what are some spiritual practices, but also why we should do them. But at the outset, let me say, whether or not you identify as a Christian, whether or not you go to church regularly, the fact of the matter is every person in our city is being formed by certain practices. You have no choice. We are formed by the things that we do and the things that we do repeatedly. And Jesus is saying, if you're my disciple, I want you to pay attention to the practices that I've given you that can help you be formed into the very people that I'm making you out to be. That is to say, Jesus wants us to be formed in his image. And he's given us practices to help us both know him, but also to help others know him. Really important. The other thing to say by way of introduction is sometimes when you talk about spiritual practices, it may sound grand, even intimidating. Oh, how can I do that? But the fact is that the practices of our lives that are the most formative are the things that you do in the everyday, the ordinary, even the mundane moments. That's where character development really comes from. Tish Harrison Warren has a wonderful book called Liturgy of the Ordinary. She's an Anglican priest. And she's given a lot of thought to how it is that people are formed in the day-to-day experiences of their life. Listen to what she says. God is forming us into a new people. And the place of that formation is in the small moments of today. You see, God made us to spend our days in rest and in work and in play, taking care of our bodies and our families, our neighborhoods and our homes. So what if all of these ordinary parts matter to God? What if days passed in ways that sometimes feel small and insignificant are actually weighty, filled with meeting, and are part of the abundant life that God has for us? Spiritual practices, the sacred in the everyday. That's what Jesus is talking about to us in these verses. And so let's take a look at them. And I want to show you three things this morning. First, the comprehensiveness of spiritual practices. Second, how you're supposed to do spiritual practices. And then third, the reward for spiritual practices. So their comprehensiveness, how you do them, and the reward for them. So first, comprehensiveness. Now, let me take a few minutes to explain here what I mean. Jesus in these verses is going to talk about three different spiritual practices, three disciplines that people engage in. And you have to remember that Jesus, when he gave this teaching, was talking to people who were living in the first century and they had a Jewish background. And so Jesus is not choosing practices that were abstract or foreign to them. He's actually talking to them about things that they would be doing every day. And he says to them, not if you decide to do spiritual practices, but when. He's understanding, even assuming, that these practices are going to be a regular part of these people's lives. All to say, the examples that Jesus gives, it's not totally random, but Jesus is not giving us here a comprehensive description of all the practices that his followers should be engaged in. This is just a set of examples. But what we talk about as we observe them applies to all spiritual practices. Practices. And so let me just quickly walk you through the text and show you the three spiritual practices that Jesus outlines as really important 
for his followers. Look first at verses two through four. Jesus talks about the spiritual practice of giving. He says, when you give to the needy, giving, sometimes some old versions of the Bible call this almsgiving. That's really important because when we talk about giving to the needy, we include, but are not limited to giving money. Money is a really important part of how we serve people who have needs, but it's not the only way. You can give your time. You can give your energy. Some of you have uh, knowledge and skills and backgrounds that can actually be a tremendous resource for other people. And so what Jesus is talking about here, when you give to the needy, he's identifying that there will be people in your community who have needs, who can be encouraged, who need resources. And he's talking about a posture of generosity, a posture that says what I have, the skills and the time and the resources that are mine are actually given to me so that I might become generous, that I might become a person who serves others with the gifts that God has given me. Now, here's the first thing I want you to see. This first spiritual practice has to do then with our relationships to other people. So the first spiritual practice, Jesus is talking about generosity as the way in which we relate to people around us. Second spiritual practice, go down to verses five through eight, Jesus talks about prayer. Now, prayer is an incredibly important topic, and you might have noticed when Naya read the scripture earlier that she skipped a big chunk. That was on purpose. Next week, we have a whole sermon on prayer because Jesus has a lot to say about it. But for the purposes of our study today, what is the point of praying? Well, prayer is communing with God. Prayer is about building a relationship with him. Prayer is a recognition that to be a Christian is not a kind of follow the rules and you earn a prize, but it's the living of a right relationship with God himself. And prayer becomes the mean by which we express our dependence on God and we commune with him. So prayer is about your relating to God. Remember, giving is about how you relate to others. But the spiritual practice of prayer is talking about how you relate to God. And then third practice, this is now verses 16 through 18, Jesus talks about fasting. Fasting is the setting aside or the abstaining from food for a set amount of time for a spiritual purpose. Jesus here is talking about self-denial. He's talking about discipline. He's talking about not giving into your appetites for the purpose of pursuing God and getting to know him better. So this practice has to do with how you relate to yourself. So step back with me. Do you see what Jesus is saying? Generosity, how you relate to other people. Prayer, how you relate to God. And fasting, how you relate to yourself. In other words, Jesus is painting an incredibly comprehensive picture of discipleship. He's saying that if you're going to follow me, I want your whole life. You see, sometimes there have been in Christian traditions and in Christian churches a tendency to overemphasize one aspect of discipleship to the neglect of others. So some churches or some Christians throughout history have so emphasized the sort of personal and the spiritual disciplines. I'm going to deny myself. I'm going to go without. I'm going to live sacrificially. I'm going to really discipline my body. I'm going to control myself. And Jesus says, yeah, that's important. 
But what about living generously towards others? What about serving in your community? Still others say real Christianity, real discipleship is studying the Bible and praying. It's getting deep in the word. We say, yes, that's important. Absolutely. But are you a person that lives generously in your friendships? Have you made your city a little less broken because of your presence in it? You see, Jesus is saying that real discipleship, really following me, includes spiritual practices that relate to every part of your life. Discipleship is a whole life project. Discipleship, and friends, this is something we're going to be talking about in the weeks and months to come. Discipleship is about the whole gospel for your whole life. Jesus is saying, I want all of you. I want how you relate to God. I want how you relate to yourself. And I want how you relate to others. The picture of discipleship that Jesus paints is incredibly comprehensive. Now, again, we're going to go deeper in the subject of prayer next week. But the point today is simply to see that the practices Jesus is talking about has to do with your whole life. Second, though, let's move. And this is where we'll spend the bulk of our time today. How is it? that you're supposed to do your spiritual practices. That's what the passages are mostly about. What are the things that you should be remembering as you engage or do these spiritual practices? Well, look with me at verse one. Jesus sets the stage by saying this, be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. So Jesus is basically saying, look, I'm about to tell you the things that you should be doing in your life, but here's what you got to remember. When you do them, don't do them to be seen by other people. Do them privately. Jesus will go on to say a few times in the passage, when you pray, when you fast, when you give to the needy, do it in secret, privately, hidden, so no one else can see. And right off the bat, I have to say, this is a real paradox, Because in Matthew chapter 5, if you were here with us a few weeks ago, Jesus said to these very same disciples, let your light shine before others so that when they see your good works, they'll glorify your Father in heaven. So in Matthew 5, Jesus is basically saying, I want you to live public lives. I want you to live in such a way that people see what you do and they glorify God. Public. But now in Matthew 6, Jesus is saying, all this stuff Do it in secret. Do it privately. So this is a paradox. What is Jesus saying? How do we make sense? Is it public or is it private? Should other people see or should they not? Well, we're helped by looking carefully at what Jesus talks about. Let me read to you verse 2, just as an example, what's true for the whole passage. But let me read to you verse 2. Jesus says, So when you give to the needy, when you be generous... Do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do to be honored by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward. Now, that word hypocrite is incredibly important. It tells us everything we need to know about this paradox. Jesus is saying, when you give, when you live a generous life, don't be like a hypocrite. Now, the Greek word for hypocrite literally means actor. And an actor is what? A person who seeks applause and approval from an audience that they're performing for. And Jesus is saying, when you live your religious life, when you do your spiritual deeds, when you engage in spiritual practices, don't be like an actor. 
who's just performing for other people, who's just performing to get applause and affirmation and approval from the people around you. Jesus says, instead, you do it in secret. That is, you do it for me, for God, and not for yourself. Now, that's what Jesus is describing. He's not saying that all of our spiritual practices need to be done privately. He's saying they need to be done for God and not for self, and not for the approval that we might seek from other people. Now, let's go deeper on this topic, because I actually think it's really crucial for the world that we're living in today. To be a human being is to be built with a need for affirmation. We actually long for approval from other people. That's why when social media companies figured out that if you add likes and follows to your accounts, people will subscribe to much greater detail. Because what is that? That's a daily, even hourly way to get real-time affirmation and feedback. Do people like me? Am I approved? Am I accepted? We actually have a kind of addiction to affirmation. That's part of our humanity. That's why social media is actually as addictive as it is, because it's tapping into something that's core to who we are. And Jesus is saying the insidious nature of sin is that it takes something good, this desire for affirmation, and it turns it into an ultimate kind of thing. It turns it into a God where it's not just that you want people's affirmation, but you can't live without it. It becomes the most important thing in your life. So Jesus says, you can even go to church. You can even show up at your small group and be praying or be reading the Bible or going out to serve your community. And it looks like you're doing all this really religious stuff, but in your heart, all you're really doing is boosting your own sense of self and ego. Let's make this really personal. Here am I preaching a sermon. And you say, Bishan, why are you preaching to us today? It's because you want to honor God, right? You want to make God known and help us know God's word. Well, yeah, that's true. But I also want you to like me. I also want you to say, man, he's a great preacher. That's a really good sermon. You see, as we examine our hearts, what we have to acknowledge is that even in the doing of spiritual duty, there's a little bit of selfishness and sin. And if you've been around the church, you know this. You go to a prayer meeting and you're there sitting in a circle or you're gathered on Zoom and there's someone praying and you can kind of sense they're praying to God. Yeah, but they're doing it to get approval from others. Wow, they sound so spiritual. Did you hear all those big words they used? We can do this even with other things. We live generous lives. We serve the community. We fast and we discipline our bodies. But then something bad happens in our life. And we say to ourselves, we say to God, I don't get it. I pray. I read my Bible. I give my money away for good causes. Why would God let this bad thing happen to me? And I say this as gently as I can, but doesn't that attitude reveal that you were never doing those things for God in the first place? You were just doing them for yourself. You were doing them to get something from God. You see, what Jesus is saying is, yes, it's okay, we're built, we need affirmation, we need approval, but the insidious nature of sin is that we take that, we make it an ultimate thing, and we look for that affirmation and approval in all the wrong places. So Jesus says, your spiritual practices, when you do them, do them in secret. That is to say, be okay if you get no approval and applause from other people. 
Why? Because if you get that applause and approval from others, you better enjoy it. That's all that's coming. That's it. But Jesus will go on to say, and this is where we'll conclude our sermon, there is a reward. There is something that God offers that can actually satisfy your soul. There is something that's deeper and more affirming than the applause of other human beings. What is it? Well, that's the reward that we ultimately need. Friends, we live our lives looking for someone or something to notice us. There's this deep built-in longing in the human soul for someone to look at you and say, I see you, I love you, and you're safe. Listen to what Jesus says. Go back with me, if you would, to verse 4 of our passage. Again, I'm using this as an example, but it appears in all the practices that he talks about. Verse 4, remember, is about giving. It's about generosity. Look at what Jesus says. So that your giving may be in secret. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. Jesus is saying, don't show off. Don't make it about getting approval from others. Instead, give privately. Give for God. Give because you want to serve, not because of the affirmation you get from it. Give secretly. And when you do, Jesus says, guess what? God sees it. Your Father sees it. And he's going to reward you. Now, when I say that, when we talk about getting a reward, our ears perk up because we're saying, all right, a reward. What am I going to get? And when you and I hear the word reward, we think about stuff. We think about getting things. What kind of prize am I going to get? But the key for us to understand what Jesus is really getting at here is the word father. When your father sees it, he's going to reward you. You see, the reason you and I think about stuff in terms of a reward is because we're not kids. But if you've spent any time with very little kids, and there are some here today, do you know what the ultimate reward is for them? For example, if you watch a toddler who's learning how to stack blocks on each other, something really simple. But you watch a toddler trying to figure it out. How do I pick this block up and put it on top of another block? As soon as they actually figure it out, they put the block on top of another block and it stays. They look at their parents and the toddler's face is beaming and they, they're, they're looking. And what does the parent do? Good job. I saw you do that. I'm so proud of you. That was amazing. And what does the kid do? They keep doing it. They keep doing the block. They don't stop. Why? Because for that child, what is the reward? If Esme did that, if she was able to stack a block and I said, good job, honey, here's 10 bucks. Uh, 10 pounds, excuse me. Uh, that's an American thing. She would say, I don't need that. The reward that she wants is my closeness. The reward that she wants is to know that I see her and that I love her and that she's safe. That's the reward that a child wants. And Jesus says, friends, when you engage in spiritual practices for God's sake, regardless of the outcome, when you give generously, not because you want other people to think you're great, but just to serve, when you pray and live in dependence on God, even when it seems like everything in your life is falling apart, Jesus says, God sees that. And the reward is that you get him. You get closer to him. 
you get more of him. He says, I see you. You did so good. I love you and I'm so proud of you. And he scoops us up in his arms and we're showered with his embrace. That's the reward that Jesus says your heart ultimately needs. It's the king of the universe saying, I see you to the bottom and I love you to the sky. You're safe. You're safe. But you say, well, that sounds great for a child. But how could God really feel that way about me? You see, you look at your own life and you say, I see all the stuff that's really going on in my heart. I see all the sin, all the shame. I see all this kind of motivation that is not pure. How could God really look at me and be pleased? How could he be proud? A few chapters earlier in the Gospel of Matthew, the Lord Jesus Christ went to be baptized. He stood there at the River Jordan and John the Baptist dips him into the river. And when Jesus is raised up uh, from that river, there's a voice from heaven. And that voice from heaven says this, it's God speaking. And God says, this is my son, the one that I love. And with him, I am well pleased. Now, until recently, I never realized this point, but here's Jesus getting baptized. And here's Jesus receiving the ultimate affirmation, literally God himself saying to the world, this is my son. I love him. I'm pleased with him. But do you know that this was before Jesus did anything? That is to say, his ministry hadn't begun yet. This was prior to and before any performance. God the Father is saying, this is my son, my perfect son. Perfect, not because he did all this stuff for me, but because of the relationship he has with me. This is my son whom I'm well pleased. And do you know what it means to be a Christian? A Christian is not someone who gets the pleasure of God because of all the stuff you perform. It's a person who understands that actually you've been brought into a relationship with Jesus so that when God sees you, he sees you as clothed with the very righteousness of Jesus. So that prior to and apart from any performance on your part, not because of anything you've done or haven't done, God looks at you and says, this is my son, this is my daughter in whom I'm well pleased. That's the affirmation that you need. That's the word that if you hear it, can heal your soul. And so what do we do? Well, we come now to our time of response. And as we come to our response today, we're gonna come to the Lord's table. We get to celebrate communion. And as we do that today, here's what we need to see. You hold the bread and you hold the cup in your hand and are reminded of what? That God says, I see you, I love you, and I'm proud of you. Not because of what you've done, but because of whose you are. Because you belong to me because of what Jesus has accomplished. When that word gets into the center of your soul, we become a people who can live out our lives, engaging in our spiritual practices, not for ourselves, but for God's glory. So let's hear that word today as we come to this time of response. Let's pray. Our great God, thank you for gathering us together around this word today. As we come now to this time of response where music is sung 
And as we come to the table, we ask, we pray, that the very word of Jesus, the word of grace, the word of acceptance, the word of love would be heard by us. That we would know ourselves to be safe in your eyes. That we would know ourselves to be loved and affirmed by the very God of the universe. Not because of what we've done, but because of whose we are. We know our sin was so deep and so great, but your love and sacrifice is greater still. So help us to rest and rejoice in Jesus. We pray this now in his name. Amen.